0: You're listening to the Team Stripes Podcast.
1: Hey everybody, welcome back to episode 99 of the Team Stripes Podcast, proudly presented by Acme Whistles, helping you make the big call since 1870. The legendary Acme Thunderer is now available in matte Black. Acme Whistles, proudly associated with the NHL since 1917. Well... Ross, we're back. We took a, uh, I would say a long leave of absence, uh, but we're
2: back finally episode 99 right here. How are you? Uh, dude, I'm good. Um, slowly getting into, uh, hockey mode in my brain. If, if that makes sense for everybody, uh, it is currently seminar season. So we are, uh, pounding through those in my local area. We did a level one and two, Uh, Last weekend, next weekend, we have a a three and a one and two. I just went to the Advanced Officiating Symposium, which was uh, awesome, to say the least. Uh, We'll we'll get into that here in a minute. Um, Other than that, just living the dream. Uh, Graduate from school in December, so I'm excited about that. and Just ready for a full hockey season moving forward. Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy. I think the NHL starting back up in less than
1: two months. I feel like yeah, we
2: have. Uh, I think CHN posted uh, fifty
1: five days. It it honestly feels like the season just ended too. That's the crazy part about oh, it. it. Did yeah,
2: we are only gonna have a ninety day off season. It's nuts.
1: Oh, I mean, it's just wild to think about. And then I mean, like I I like kind of like you said, we're sitting here ramping up. We're in, in seminar season. Uh, for usa hockey i mean i think dallas has already had two seminars you know whether they're level ones and then level twos or threes we're still waiting for our level four to come out so we're a lot a lot of us are i mean i I know personally i'm sitting here and i'm just like i haven't even started anything yep because i'm complete my card's already on my way so i'm generally like that like i i generally like sign up like first day you can, you know, and, but like, we just haven't had any seminar info come out. So I'm like, it can wait. It can wait. And now we're obviously starting to start some scrimmages, uh, especially down here. And I got assigned to one. And so I texted the schedule. I said, Hey, he uh, said by, by chance we're, we're going to use the new rule book. Right. And he's like, Oh yeah. And I was like, Oh, I should probably
2: learn that. <laughs> well, but- I was like, there's I, a lot, there's no, there are a lot of changes. Yeah, and actually, if you want, that's kind of a perfect segue to uh, what I want to do. Um, before we get into the interview uh, that we have lined up today, um, I have the USA Hockey rule change video queued up. Oh, um, so I, why don't we uh, go ahead and watch that? Um, we can watch it together and kind of discuss. Um the rule changes. Considering I've never seen it, I would love to watch it. Oh my goodness. So this is going to be great. All right. So uh, for those of you on the audio version, you get to listen to uh, the audio version of the rule changes video and uh, strongly encourage you guys to uh, pull up the YouTube link for the podcast so we can, uh, you guys can uh, watch along with us. All right, guys, we're going to go ahead and watch the uh, rule change video here. And uh, let's go ahead and get started.
0: Welcome to USA Hockey's major rule changes of the 2021 2025 rulebook. The points of emphasis that we will touch in this video include a fair play and respect, abuse of officials, intimidation tactics, competitive contact, body checking, focus on possession of puck, players, respect and development of skills, coaches, safe and sportsmanlike environment. Officials enforce all rules of integrity and lastly spectators respect and support for all participants Let's start with the declaration of player safety fair play and respect Many principles from the declaration of player safety have been incorporated into the rules Body contact is now known as competitive contact Glossary definitions have been added for angling collision late body check physical engagement and vulnerable or defenseless (laughs) <laughs> Oof. Let's go over the language added to the Rule 601, B.5. Banging the board with a stick or other object, including skates or arms, after a body check regardless as to whether the check is being penalized. This is deemed to be in sportsmanlike conduct and should be penalized when done as a means of escalating dangerous and or unnecessary physical play where there is no intent to legally gain possession of the puck.
2: I'll go ahead and pause right there real quick. So... The last rule book that we had, it was a warning to the bench first, remember? So now it's no longer a warning. They do it, we call a penalty. Make sense? I, I mean, unfortunately,
1: yes. <laughs> so, Then again, right. I, I think I called it once in the last four yeah. years.
2: That's It's just going to end up being a game management tool. 100%. Um, I don't see it being called all the time. Um, again, it's just, it's just, a, a game management tool and, uh, you know, obviously we we'll want, we want the rules, uh, enforced as, as written, but yeah.
0: Specific language from the declaration of player safety has been added to the following rules, boarding, body checking, charging, checking from behind head contact and roughing specific situations add to rule 640, unnecessary roughness. Roughing. A player who has released a shot or pass is no longer considered to be in control of the puck. They are considered to be vulnerable or defenseless and are no longer eligible to be body checked. A minor penalty shall be assessed to any player who delivers a body check with no effort to gain possession of the puck and the blade of the player's stick is above the knees. A minor penalty shall be assessed to any player who delivers a body check to an opponent who is physically engaged for possession of the puck with one or more other players.
2: All right. So the discussion at the symposium was: so this is going to be this is going to be by far the hardest thing that we have to deal with as officials. Um, the finishing your check, no more. Um, the second that puck's gone, that player shouldn't get hit. Uh, that's pretty much what they they stressed. Um, body checks: the stick needs to be on the ice, be, you know, below your knee. Essentially, like if you're the guy giving the check, your stick's got to be below your knee and you have to be making an attempt at playing the puck. You're not just coming in for a body check to blow the guy up. And then, so that situation in the corner. So if you have two guys engaged on the puck and a third guy comes in and hits the one of the players that, or, you know, the opposing player that is engaged on the puck, uh, that's going to be a penalty for roughing.
1: So, especially for that one where where it's it's the the play where buddies, you know, two guys are engaged in in the in the corner. Yeah, so we got
2: and a guy if, goes if, to run. Can, you can see my mouse, right? Yep. Okay. So we have this player here, blue, and five here, white. So this blue player came along the boards and and jumped in to make it, you know, two on one essentially in that puck battle, and they don't want that. Now, if all three of them are there at the same time to play the puck, that's fine. So then let's say if this white player were to then come in, then we have a problem. But if there are two players actively engaged or three players or four players, however many players actively engaged in the play, and then another just a guy, an additional player comes in and takes a guy out. That's where the penalties coming in. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I, I know especially down here in Dallas
1: we've been calling that for years now. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's one of those things where if you want to run a pile, what it, like the, the it's not a hockey play. You're running a pile. Yeah. Um. Whether there's two guys, six guys, nineteen guys in this pile, if you're running it, you're you're running it because a guy's generally in a vulnerable position. And then what happens once you run the pile? Then somebody else, you know, has to go stick out for their teammate. Next thing yeah. you know we have two kids fighting. I am a Okay. With that. I, I okay. love that. You know, it's now officially in the rule book. Yeah. Um, I'm also a okay with, if you don't have the puck, you can't get hit. The yep. only issue I see with that is, especially at the higher levels, we're going to see a kid quickly release the puck when the player has already been committed. Yeah. Well, in making the check. I think
2: there, it, it, we are going to give a little bit of judgment. On- I agree there. Like, if if I know to pl- – like, if player A is coming in to hit player B and player B just gets rid of the puck for no damn reason right before he gets hit, I'm probably not calling it. I agree. If, if, if the hit's already comm- – if
1: the kid's committed into the hit and everybody knows there's going to be a hit and Buddy just throws away the puck because he goes, oh, shit, I don't want to get hit. Yeah. And you get hit, I'm not putting my arm up for that. Like, yeah.
0: like we're, we're
1: not telling kids, like, hey, you can't make – You can't make that decision in 0.2 seconds to somehow not hit them. Yeah. And then the only issue I have with the stick above the knee is I love the rule because especially down in the South kids hit with their hands up all the time. I don't know why I, I I always joke that it's because that's how they get taught in football. Yep. But the only issue is, is now there's going to be a big hit where the kid's stick was down and due to the
2: contact, like it, it does like to pop up. Well, so here's the thing. Uh, they they definitely made sure to tell us that we need to judge the hit on initial point of contact. So, like, right. if the stick starts low and he's trying stick on puck, if his stick comes up, not like driving through, but, like, if his stick just comes up, it's not going to be that big of a deal. Yeah, like but if now, it rides up the other guy's stick. Yeah. Now, if if we're driving through... Um, and like getting into like a high stick situation or whatever, that's going to be different. Um,
0: yeah,
2: I, I just see it as a bunch of coaches
1: are going to see, oh, the stick can't be above the knee, and then it's going to yeah. come above the knee, and they're going to, yep. you know, that they're going to raise hell and hell because, they oh, I know
2: it, it it's
0: going to be a learning curve for everybody, for so everybody,
2: let's, 100%. Let's go ahead and continue here
0: in all cases. The onus is on the player delivering the check to so a vulnerable or defensive.
2: that there was the late hit they're looking for.
0: Guy releases the puck. Two seconds I mean, go by, and then we make a hit. Yeah, exactly. Endanger a potential injury. Let's move on to general concepts. All major penalties will now carry an automatic game misconduct penalty. Any reference to injury as it relates to penalty assessment has been replaced with recklessly endangers, reckless endangerment. Defined as engaging in conduct with regard to the consequences which create a substantial risk of serious physical injury to an opponent. All major. Have you
1: ever seen that clip before? I have, but every time I see it, I'm just like, "What the? What the
2: hell?" hell? Because you get a you got like a major game high stick there, and then a match penalty. Yeah, (laughs) like that's just.
0: And match penalties to be judged on severity of the action and not whether injury results.
2: All right. So this was a. Uh oh, my my camera. Uh, decided not to to keep working so i will get that fixed real quick okay camera's back um so on this one here i really like this because all too often most of our referees are making a determination on whether or not it's a major penalty on the result of the action and not the action itself so now We are strictly looking at the action to determine whether or not it's a match or a a major or a match potentially. So if, if a hits reckless, if you're like, Oh shit, doesn't matter if the kid pops right up or not. If you deem that it's worthy of a major, you're calling it. There's no more. Oh, he wasn't injured. So I can't call a major. Which I absolutely love because I mean, Mm
1: I I feel like everybody puts so much emphasis on, is this kid hurt?
2: And we, we, we don't know because we're not doctors. We, we kind of joked. It was like, okay, so you went from having us be doctors. Now we're lawyers. Yep. Because, and I mean, for me, like
1: to go over to a coach and say like, he's the, yes, the kid is fine. The kid that, that got hit, is okay and that's good yeah. that he's okay, but I'm still going with a major in a game for the simple fact that that wasn't a hockey play. Exactly,
2: and that's so now where the reckless we, comes in. Yep, and that's it. All we have to go go. Hey, coach, he was reckless in that hit. He's out of here, and that that, that hit tells me he it. doesn't he doesn't want to play hockey today. Yep, and you can, and that's it.
1: It's tough to argue. Yeah, it because, really is, and I love it. Yeah, you you're gonna and, run to run into the coach when you say, look. To me, that's not a hockey play. Well, you know, he's going to go, oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's a good hockey play. And it's like, well, not anymore. Not in my game. It might be in in Johnny's game next, but in my Mm -hmm. game, that's not. The one thing I don't like about this is the major penalties now carrying a game misconduct. And we talked a little bit about it with Ken. Yeah. I have no issue with it because the majority of the time, if you're calling a major, you're calling a game misconduct as well. Like, yeah. very, like, very, very rarely have I gone standalone five.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But me personally, I like having a lot of options penalty-wise. Well, yeah. I like having the
2: widest variety of penalty options, well,
1: sequences,
2: combinations I can. Keep in mind, and I think the biggest thing that's lost in this, and yes, I want the options too. But the these penalty options are there for your officials that might not necessarily have the knowledge of the rule book or, you know, they're up and coming. So like there's that. And then USA hockey's youth council basically decided, Hey, if you commit a major penalty, you don't deserve to play in the game. And I'm, and you I'm know what? Okay. With it. And, and that's fine. And obviously some of us used to use standalone major majors as a game management tool. Like, uh eh, you get to stay in the game, but you're going to sit for five. Like, you know, shitty play, hockey play gone bad. No big deal. Sit for five. But now it's just easy. Bye. Yeah. See ya. So yeah, it, it definitely line, streamlines the process. Which mm-hmm. look
1: at the end of the day, USA Hockey's dealing with uh, it was something like over a hundred thousand
2: officials, if I remember correctly. No, twenty only twenty six thousand. And actually, it was down last year. We okay. were only at about twenty thousand officials last season.
1: But still, I mean, there's twenty thousand different opinions on this. Yeah, USA hockey's just going if you're calling a major, you're calling a game because that way if if like you said, some new kid who's it's his second game, something happens, cool. He knows it's gonna be a major plus a game misconduct. Whereas yeah, somebody like me or you who've been doing it for a while, been around for a while, yeah, I kinda like the option of every once in a while being able to call a five but keep
2: the kid in the game. Yeah. So all right, let's move on.
0: There are three levels of involvement with the puck that have been established. First, contact with the puck. The last skater or goalkeeper to have touched the puck, a puck touch, this includes a puck that is deflected off a player or any part of their equipment. The second level of involvement with the puck is possession of the puck. This is placing your stick on the puck in an effort to establish control or to deliberately direct the puck with any part of the body. The last player to have intentionally played the puck is considered to have possession of the puck. A player may be in possession of the puck without establishing control of the puck. However, a player must first gain possession of the puck prior to be considered in control of the puck. The third level of involvement with the puck is control of the puck. This is defined as the skater or goalkeeper that in the opinion of the official has possession of the puck and is guiding the puck in any desired direction. Contact with the puck is not considered control of the puck. A player in possession of the puck may also immediately establish control of the puck. A skater is considered to be in control of the puck is eligible to be body checked and or engage in competitive contact. Okay, that's really wordy for such a this easy this thing
2: is wordy as hell. Yeah, um, for something that should I be known I to be. love the attempt. I love what they're going for here. We are defining. The three stages of the puck, you know, being, you know, possession, control, a touch. I love it. It's just a little too wordy. So, but that first clip they showed, that's going to be a penalty now every single time. um The second clip, and eh, whatever. We'll just keep moving forward. I'm, I'm a okay um, with that. Like, yeah, it's it's wordy, but I'm a okay with this yeah. fact of like I, I just love the spirit and intent of what they were trying to um put out there. It's
1: it's going to stop the, the big hit, you know, the, the mm-hmm. suicide pass breakout where the forward has to look through his feet because his D-man wants him yep. to get
0: no more. Yeah, the buddy pass. You can't <laughs> do it anymore, and that's and beautiful. Alright, so another major rule change is that we have reduced the penalties per player in the same game to four penalties per player for the game misconduct to be assessed. Also, the team 15 penalties has been reduced to 12 for that coach to receive a one game suspension. And finally, there has been incorporated a standardized discipline policy for match penalties that establishes guidelines for suspensions and for a player or coach to accept a suspension without a hearing. Okay. So the first one is huge. Mm -hmm. Um, And
2: we are going to see a lot of game misconducts here. Um, We have our Labor Day tournament coming up. And our 14s, 16s, and 18s, this four penalty rule is going to come into play a lot. I guarantee it. Um, Same thing with the 12 penalties for coaches. Um, This is something that we're going to need to be mindful of. Um, I'm not saying count penalties, but count penalties. Uh, Don't necessarily stop calling them if you're getting close to the 12 on either side. But just be mindful that, like, let's say, I think my biggest piece of advice here would be, you know, you have, you just called your 10th penalty on team. A, Okay. It's 10th minor. Something I would relay to either the captain of the team or the coach would be a hey coach. Hey, Hey buddy to the captain, you guys have 10 penalties. Just keep in mind that if you get two more, your coach is suspended for the next game. It's, it's just going to be a communication thing.
1: So, with with the player one being reduced to four, I would mm-hmm. definitely talk about that to a coach for, for if the kids at three. 100 percent. Like and just be like, like if- hey, but the one for the coach, if I'm calling ten minor penalties mm-hmm. on your team or, or ten penalties in general, two things are probably gonna happen. You're yelling at me, so we're not talking. Yeah. And you probably have zero control over your bench right now. Yeah. At at that point, I have zero zero k. If we get to those twelve penalties now, mm-hmm. which I maybe I couldn't have tell you the last year, time.
2: I couldn't tell you the last time I hit fifteen on one team. So mine it's was just maybe one of those like two three years ago. Yeah. So it's and, just going to be one of those things that we need to be mindful of on our end. Uh, the four penalty definitely with the players. Like, again, if you're in a situation where you got three on a player, you say, hey, coach, this kid's got three. Um, I'm not going to tell you how to coach your team, but if you want him to play your next game, yeah, tell him to stop acting like an idiot or just sit him on the bench. Yeah. And then,
1: I mean, the, the match penalty ones where, you know, they can now accept ex- just a, yeah. suspensions. I mean,
2: that's that's the, honestly that's this is honest. long over. This is long overdue. Correct. Um, I, I feel like it's just one of those things where it should have been done years ago where we had a streamlined process for matches instead of everything needing a yearing or 30 days. So yeah. I'm okay with that. hundred percent. Let's keep going here.
0: The exception that had allowed shorthanded teams to ice the puck at the 15 only 16 and under and 18 under age classifications has been eliminated. The new rule calls for icing to be called in every instance, except at high school, junior and the adult classification. Also, immediate offside will be called at all levels of youth hockey. The old- um, really nothing to get into
2: here. We, we all loathe, love or hate um, this change. Um, we really didn't get into it at the symposium. It, the youth council voted and that's what it was. The only, And I will say that the reason for the exemption for high school The exemption for high school on this was actually only passed by two votes. It was like split right down the middle. I think it was 51-49, that kind of a vote. And uh, the main reason for it was because there's crossover between USA Hockey High School and NFHS High School, and they don't want when there is that crossover to try to figure out whose rules they're going to play with yeah and I, I know ken talked about that a little bit in the interview. yeah so it's just one of those things where like the body checking change and all that stuff still applies it's just the icing and the offside. um i really think that's it let me go a little bit forward
0: was using delayed or tag up offsides are high school junior and the adult classifications major rule changes
2: all right we can uh we can stop there and um anyone that wants to go and watch the rest of the video. I, I did post it on my personal YouTube account. It's just 2021, 2025, USA hockey rule changes video. Yeah. Um, man, we can post this that of Yeah. We Team can post Stripes the link one. to it. It's just one of those things. Now we're, we're getting into the minute stuff. Um, so, but those were the key points. Honestly, the body checking one is, is going to be the, the hardest thing that we have to deal with um we have to retrain ourselves and then we have to retrain the players uh, yay, it, would, yay rule it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a team stripes podcast without an appearance of shadow shadow the best but no i mean Eyeshadow.
1: we we go through this i feel like every 4 years and we mm-hmm. talk to ken about well, this a lot it, it, uh, every 4 years something comes out that mm-hmm. a, a big group of people aren't happy with and it's one of those things where 95% of the time, it's a non-issue. I mean, I, I remember when the banging on the boards first came out. I think the first weekend that we used the new rules, which would have been Labor Day weekend, the first year came out, called it once. Since then, I've, I have have maybe, maybe called it one or two more times.
2: Archer decided to join
1: too. Because not it's, to be left out. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where it's it's a no issue. and And I think a lot of these rules, like, yeah, there's going to be a learning curve, especially with the 16s and 18s not being able to ice the puck, and the delayed offsides being taken away. But at the same time, as a linesman, I kind of halfway appreciate it just for the simple fact of there's no more head. Well, yeah, there's no more rifles coming at me.
2: Yeah. Yep. If if, and... if you need somewhere to be bright about, there it is. Yep. Um, and two, like this is the biggest rule change since we went to the new standard of enforcement, which I don't think you were reffing then. Um, that would have been 2006. (laughs) Um, I think I was still in
1: Australia back then, man.
2: That's funny. So that was the big painful rule change 15 years ago. It worked out for us because we were like, yeah, we get to call penalties now. And, um, obviously that has since backed off um but now like this is just going to be the big thing to retrain ourselves so i think with af- with going through the rules video i think now it's a perfect time to transition over to our interview uh you want to inter- uh introduce our our uh, our guest there brendan yeah
1: but before i do that we have to uh give a shout out to another sponsor of our Stig hockey Are you in the market for new hockey equipment? I know the season is right around the corner. SIGHockey.com is your newest source for pro stock, NHL, and NCAA hockey gear. SIGHockey is offering Team Stripes listeners 10% off their first purchase with a code STRIPES10. That's STRIPES10 for 10% off your order at SIGHockey. That's SIG, S-I-G, hockey.com. And, yeah, we have... Somebody who's mentored me since I, I think I moved to Dallas at 14, has been mentoring me ever since. Uh, he is the Rocky Mountain District Referee-in-Chief. That's one of the, I think, like 19 hats that he wears for USA Hockey. Uh, he's a big part of the rule changes. He's part of the committees. He's part of the guys that write the tests uh, every year, and that is Ken Reinhardt. So without further ado, let's send it over to him. Today we are joined by a very special guest. He is the Rocky Mountain District Referee in Chief. Uh, he wears many, many, many hats in the USA Hockey. Probably more than I think even me and Ross know of. Uh, please welcome to the show, Ken Reinhardt. Ken, how are you today?
3: I'm great, Brendan. How are
1: you? Uh, I am fantastic. Uh,
2: you know, Ken, I'm 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 good. As we were just talking about before we started recording, I am actually getting ready to head to Providence, Rhode Island to go to the officiating symposium so I can get my uh, tenured level four. So I'm good.
3: Good deal. You'll enjoy it. It's, it's, uh, it was a major step uh, for the officiating section to put that program together. Uh, it's evolving. Uh, we certainly uh, did a good job on the first one in Minneapolis a couple of years ago, but uh, this one should be better uh, from what we learned in Minneapolis and the next one will be better than that. So yep. um, everything, everything takes a little bit of time and a little bit of massage and Nothing's perfect out of the gate. That's for sure.
2: Yep. And it's definitely a program that was uh, very welcomed across the board by uh, guys that have been doing this for a long time. Um, obviously sitting, this would be my 19th or 20th season of officiating. So like Going to the seminar every year. It's just kind of like, why do I have to still do this? So having the option to go and become a tenured official to where once you uh do go to the symposium that we do and not having to do the yearly seminar is just is huge because it's just, you know, one less thing that we got to deal with as far as being uh tenured officials, obviously we have to you know, stay up on the rules and do our, uh, our tests and our modules, but it's just one less thing that we don't necessarily have to give up our time for, but it, it overall, it's just been a, a great idea. I'm very much looking forward to going this year. I was supposed to go last year, but obviously that didn't happen.
3: Uh, true. And this year's, uh, this year's uh, class was uh, restricted in attendance by the state. So I think there's only going to be about 200 of you. uh, This year, where We're in Minneapolis. We had 255 or thereabouts in in the kickoff year. And uh, we were really looking forward to uh, Providence uh, before COVID hit uh, being closer to 300, three and a quarter because the news was the reviews really good. And uh, we expected a better turnout. Uh, for Providence, especially with the density of officials in the uh, Northeast Corridor from Philadelphia all the way up through uh, Maine.
2: so Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Now, were you as a RIC of a district, were you involved in any of the discussion early on with them bringing that program about?
3: Uh, Not only was I involved with it, I was part of the subcommittee that helped develop it. So uh, uh, Leo Boylan, who was the district referee and chief of the Atlantic District, myself, uh, Russ Eidenberger from Michigan, um, Dave Labuda, of course, Matt, BJ, uh, and I'm probably leaving somebody out, uh, all were part of that uh, subcommittee, uh, uh, putting together program ideas, thoughts, uh, requirements, who we wanted to attract. Uh, quite honestly, we really weren't looking to attract guy who was 55 years old or so and was probably going to officiate for five more years we were looking for the guy who is 24 25 26 had 10 years in and uh you know had a long career in front of him and we're trying to relieve some of his or her pressure Mm -hmm. so either way uh it worked out well
2: oh definitely It, it has and i uh we had a few people from florida go to the first one And I heard just, you know, great reviews and and all that. And I really wanted to go, but I just, I uh, didn't have the money or the time back then to do that first one. Um, So you you talked about, you know, you're part of the process. Like, so what was that like? What was it? um, What were some of the initial ideas and or, you know, where it got to where it is now as far as hey, this is what we should do for our officials in offering them a chance to come to this event, sit through basically a three-day long seminar, and then now we're going to send them off into the world as our, you know, tenured guys that don't have to go to seminars anymore.
3: Well, I think, Ross, you got to understand what goes on at the uh, annual Congress and um and at the winter meetings and Mm -hmm. the sidebar conversations the ric section has monthly to fully grasp how things like this get developed um we just don't sit around in a room in florida or colorado springs for two or three hours and we you know carve out this idea and bingo here it is um we knew uh we knew from uh a number of years of um uh results and statistics that uh we had to change something about officiating uh, because our retention. We don't have a problem recruiting officials. Uh, that's it's clearly not an issue. We recruit mm-hmm. somewhere around eight thousand brand new level ones a year. Problem is we don't hold on to them. And the average retention mm-hmm. time frame is about a year, season and a half. I did an extensive study in the Rocky Mountain District, and we pulled six hundred officials. And we got 200 responses or thereabouts, and, and uh, there were three key reasons for uh, officials walking away from the program. Uh, one was abuse, and we're we're addressing that. I was part of another subcommittee that dealt with abuse, and there's some rule changes this year that uh, specifically deal with officials' abuse uh, and give the officials on ice a little more authority to get rid of the bad actors quickly. Um, the second part was the registration hurdles, uh, and the third was uh, game assignments. You know? So game assignments is a longer term process. But mm-hmm. when we talked about retention of officials, we talked about uh, two things. One, uh, officials who have left the game, who had extensive resumes uh, in officiating, who wanted to come back, but d- didn't necessarily want to go through all the rigmarole of getting, us, uh, getting registered. Uh, and those officials who uh, had stuck with us for a long time seven, eight, nine years, whatever it is. And uh, the seminar process become uh, a, a, a significant burden. So we attacked those two ideas and the, the one that came out uh, first is the tenured program. And it started with uh, basically uh, no idea is a bad idea. How much stuff can you throw against the wall and see what sticks and mm-hmm. what do we have to do to ensure some level of education? Uh, particularly in a rule change years or experiencing this year? And how do we acknowledge the fact that uh, a guy like you or Brendan, or if I was still uh, uh, dragging my fanny up and down the ice surface, uh, uh, how, do, how do we acknowledge that all those years of experience and not try to teach you how to call offsides or icing or or you know uh, establish a penalty standard uh, or conduct a face-off again? I mean, how do we get around that? I mean, certainly those are things that if you don't know after seven or eight, nine years of officiating, we've got bigger problems in our educational program. So we looked at certain things, we talked about what kind of knowledge we can impart upon you. Uh, if you, were, you weren't at the symposium in Minneapolis with uh, uh, hearing from Kevin Collins and, uh, and uh, uh, Chris Rooney and, and uh, Brian Murphy and, and guy, officials who have reached the highest uh, pinnacle of our game, officials who are in the middle, uh, international officials, um, uh, teachers, motivational speakers. Uh, it really uh, changed the concept of what you're doing and, uh, the education that we provided. And I, I thought we did a pretty good job, Minneapolis. And, and I expect this one to be better. Uh, we, we've got to get away from And, it, and it's pretty well acknowledged, uh, within the, uh, organiz- within the referee section, we got to get back to being an education
2: organization, not a testing organization. mm mm-hmm. And uh, I I definitely couldn't agree with you more on on that statement because it's felt like over the years that it's just been, hey, here's your rule book, here's your test, you know, go off and figure it out. Now, obviously, the local associations have a lot more to do with that feeling than USA Hockey as a whole. But we also, you know, for me, I, I think as I've seen in the you know the time i've been doing this the evolution of at least the testing goes like even like the way the tests are worded now compared to the way they used to they like the last few years it's, it's been kind of hard in um in like reading the questions um it has gotten better but like there was a point where it's just like what are they trying to do here well does that, that make completely- sense
3: Sure. Let me, let me address that for you. So the test questions are, are in a question bank. Mm-hmm. All right. So we're not rewriting uh, questions every year. Uh, uh, and all the questions come from the rule book or the case book. Um, there is a test writing committee, which consists of uh, rotating referee and chiefs uh, and uh the te- one of the things we did a couple of years ago was we made the test level specific. You notice the open book test went from a hundred questions down to 50 questions. Yep. Okay. Which, that was- which we, we
2: greatly appreciate by the okay. way.
3: Okay. So you're welcome. So <laughs> uh, as the section director, I kind of in, uh, unofficially chair that committee. I don't necessarily get involved in the writing of the questions, but um, so we, we reduce that to make them level specific. So we're testing level ones on level one knowledge, level twos on two knowledge. And obviously as you go up the ladder, uh, the questions get a little more complex and a little more difficult. Yes. Do we have issues with grammar and uh, punctuation from time to time? Sure, it's not a perfect world. And if we've got a problem with a, a question and a serious problem with a question, we're happy to look at it, address it, make the adjustments necessary. Uh, both on scoring and uh, uh, rewriting that question for the next go around. But all the questions kind of reside in a question bank. Mm -hmm. And uh, for the open book test, another change we made, was that uh, if you uh, failed the open book test, which God, I hope nobody does. The book should be right in front of you, but you
2: know you get those outliers, right? I, I'm the so, guy that usually misses it by one question because you I, missed it by more than one because you got all those other ones wrong. But I, but regardless,
3: uh... <laughs> regardless, <laughs> you don't have to go back and take the entire test again. You only have to take retake the questions you got incorrect. We that was another see, significant we change we made.
2: Greatly appreciated that one. Yeah, yeah, we're just trying
3: to help out here, right? We don't want, again, we don't want to be a testing organization. We want to be an education organization. Uh, On the closed book exams, uh, we, we, you know, this year's level three and four will be virtual again, uh, which uh, you'll have an hour and a half time frame. So, again, yes, they're closed book. But uh, we know that uh, somebody's going to reach behind them on the credenza and grab the book and look up a question they don't answer. We want you to do that.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Again, uh, you don't have enough time to do all 50 questions in a closed book exam with the book in front of you. But certainly on those questions uh, you're struggling with, uh, grab the book uh, I'm not, you know, and learn from that. Uh, we, if you're a doctor and you're doing brain surgery and you're in the, you're in the operating theater, we don't expect you to be guessing. So <laughs> yep. If we've got an opportunity to part a little more education to you while you're taking that uh uh semi-closed book exam, great. We we well, think that's a good thing. Well, because so
2: the, I was just the question. Say, ultimately yeah. the goal of the open book and the closed book test is to learn the rules and know how to use that's right. Program. That's right. Yeah, we, we you'll
3: get enough challenge on the ice uh by by coaches and parents and players uh to test your uh, uh metal on knowledge of the rules so we don't need to be doing that too but i will tell you there are some questions that make me sometimes make me go say what and yeah. uh, matt and i will go back and forth on them and we'll kind of sort them out
2: mm-hmm. it's
3: just part of the process it's not a perfect world
2: i haven't taken either test yet because we were told for, by the people with a symposium email like hey don't do anything yet right um but I did see one question and it was one of those that I had to read a few times because basically it was the situation where it was like an end zone flat. Uh, it was an end zone face off and a player got a misconduct and I'm reading it. I'm like, okay, well, it just says misconduct. Is it a two is a 10, but generally when USA hockey says a player was given a misconduct, they w- they're meaning the 10. That's what so that's, that is that is what we came up with the solution of the answer, even though I really wish it was worded as a player was given a 10 minute misconduct or a two minute.
3: Well, if you, you go back to the terminology in the rule book of, of the minor penalties on sportsmanlike mm-hmm. conduct. conduct, yeah. the misconduct is 10 minutes and the game misconduct is go take an early shower yeah and uh, it was just so. it was
2: just one of those things like i was talking to to my buddy that was asking me i was like well i'm going to tell you right now just the way this is worded they mean a 10 that's right
3: that's right don't read biggest mistake everybody does is they, they read and they the read questions. too much into
2: it yeah, yeah exactly do not read
3: into the question look the hey. guys that are writing it we're not that smart we're, I mean, we're
2: just <laughs> putting them down on paper and, and he's, he was like, "Are you sure?" I was like, "Trust me, I've been taking these tests for yep. 20 years. They yep. mean a 10." <laughs> yep, exactly.
3: Yep, exactly. Don't read into them. And, sure. and quite honestly, if you go if you go to the case book or the rule book, you'll find it sitting right there. I mean, they yeah. virtually
2: come directly out of it. Um. Well, since you know we we've, we've now we've covered the uh, the testing side of it. I guess really the biggest thing and the most controversial thing that's right here. And now in our current mind frame as USA hockey officials is this rule change that just came out. Now I want to preface this for all of our listeners and everybody to say, we have to remember something as officials and as mad as I am about some of these rule changes, at the end of the day, the rule changes are not for us. They're for the kids and they're to make the game better for the kids or the adults in the cases with the rule changes for the adults. Now, obviously we as referees, like me in particular, I have very strong feelings for these rule changes because of my personal opinion and where I've officiated and all that. So, my opinion on these rule changes is just strictly coming out of personal like why would you do that to us as referees but then i also have to remember hey this is about the kids so i guess we should just kind of dive into some of them what for you like i know ken you said you were part of the rule change committee correct i'm
3: part of the play i'm part of the playing rules committee and and also sit on the youth council Okay, so, uh, so you know,
2: what were some of the big ones, like, right off the rip that, like, in that room were like, okay, here's a rule change that were presented, and um, here's the impact it could make, so we ended up changing it. Like, let's, maybe, like, the, I guess the golden goose that was being chased for a long time of not being able to ice the puck while shorthanded okay so
3: um that all right so to understand how rule changes come about usa hockey and it's, it's kind of the same discussion i have with some people about rule changes in the nhl
2: mm-hmm.
3: um the playing rules committee doesn't line up rule changes uh, all the rule changes are submitted by any one of six hundred thousand usa hockey members every rule change that's submitted it goes to the plain rules committee and matt leaf got lesson uh pulls all these things together into one big book and we had and sorry to interrupt
2: three. on any given rule change how many generally get submitted this year
3: we had 243
2: rule changes submitted okay
3: or 300 pages of literature Okay. To read through. Some of them Ross in Brennan uh, candidly or oh, just so I, often.
2: I read some of the rejected ones and I had a good laugh. Yeah.
3: yeah. Okay. So you know that some of them don't even make it out of committee. Yes. <laughs> um others are 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 all they get from the rule, playing rules committee is a recommendation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Recommended to defeat, recommend to approve recommended, uh, refer to the youth council, refer to, uh, to the uh, adult council, refer to girls, women's section, whatever it is. Okay. We're not making the ultimate decision on that rule. Okay.
2: Makes sense. So if you guys say recommend approve, they don't necessarily approve it. And if you say recommend disapprove, they don't necessarily disapprove.
3: They don't necessarily defeat it either. Yeah. So after that whole process goes through, then um, the rule changes are called down to, let's say it was recommended to youth council mm-hmm. and the youth council says, Hey, we like this in the packet. It goes youth council says they don't like it. They, they agree with the defeat doesn't mean anything. It still gets presented because the The board of directors is made up, I think the number is 108 people, including the executive council. Okay. And all 108 or whatever the number is, vote on the rule changes. So they all represent you. If you're for like Brendan in the Rocky Mountain District, uh, in in Taha, uh, your Taha representatives have a vote and your district directors have a vote. And I have a vote, and the executive council people have a vote. And the rule change either passes or it doesn't pass. As in the case of icing on a uh, uh, limiting icing on the on power play, you remember that rule, uh, initiated at 14 U and below mm-hmm. in, in the test, right? And it was very successful. And before it became a rule change, it, 14U and below was it was tested in Massachusetts.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Yep. And they found that the players adapted very quickly. What the playing side, the youth council came back with, who were the biggest endorsers of this because it did not, it did not carry through on the adult side and it did not carry through for high school. And I'll explain high school in a minute. Um, what the youth side said was: we want players to make a play we don't want them blindly dumping the puck out any longer this was not coming from the referees or the coaches this was coming from youth council coaching section endorsed it
2: now when you say youth council like who makes that up is that made up by like parents is it made up by no it's made up
3: of other other members of usa hockey keith barrett is the vice president chairman of the uh youth council he's uh uh, from vermont he okay. is also a referee he's you so know, are we, they
2: like people from different local like like my affiliate is Sehoff so is there like a say person and a whatever like all sure. the yeah i mean there's it, okay. they, i think
3: the youth council is like 60 people okay 50 60 people i mean so it's not three guys in a room shooting dice trying to yeah. figure out what's going on right same thing on the playing rules committee. It's a wide group of people from various districts and, and affiliates. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing on girls, women's section, same thing. Uh, all your coaches section are coaches in chief, just like the referees in chief. So there's a lot of people involved in these things. So they're not, it's not just uh, two or three guys sitting around a room. Um, me, David Labuda, Matt Leaf, and some referees deciding what the rules are going to be. We have very little input. Uh, we may get some stuff referred to us as a section uh, for our input, but ultimately, it's the board of directors who are voting to adopt or, or reject uh, rule changes.
2: Okay. So then, obviously, this, this icing uh, you know prohibits all youth players to ice a puck while shorthanded. Um, well, they can I ice don't... it, but then you're going to face off. In the other well, end. yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. it's still it's still ice. it doesn't get negated right. because
3: shorthanded so, and there, some of the rationale behind that Ross is uh, a, a team has been penalized why would you allow them to do something uh, that otherwise while even strength was not permissible why are you going to allow that now
2: well my my answer always goes back to the reason why that rule was put in place. And that rule was put in place, and I believe it was either it was somewhere between nineteen twenties and nineteen forties era of the of National Hockey League. Basically, the Montreal Canadiens' power play was too good,
0: and they would score
2: every single time on the power play. So the NHL changed the rule so that teams would not get not get that disadvantage because their the Montreal Canadiens' power play was too good. Right. So if and you watch it, I'm sorry. It's just one of those things like it's been a part of the game for so long. Right. It's just, it doesn't feel right now. I've done it in the, in, you know, uh Bantam, U14 and below. And I have seen where, you know, players make a, a smarter chip than dumping it down the ice. So I, I get that part of it, and I understand why changing it um, now is good because the players that are moving up into the U16 category have already been basically playing it with it their whole right. playing career. So I get that part of it, but I just – I felt like the rule itself, like, like I called it earlier, was a golden goose, and people out of the Northeast, somebody had this idea – it was like, hey, this would be a good idea. And then they eventually stuck with it. Because I believe when I was playing, and I haven't played in, since I, I stopped playing in 2005, like there was talk of it back then. And now, um, 16, would, 17 years I, I later, it finally went through.
3: I can't speak for them. And mm-hmm. certainly, you know, well, I would bet you the NHL was watching this very carefully as are our juniors. And, I would, and uh, and college hockey mm-hmm. because if you look at the watch the nhl power playing when you're getting one or two or maybe three shots on goal in a in a, in a power play opportunity maybe yeah. uh and and scoring is what keeps fans in the stands yeah uh i'm not too sure that uh those uh, higher level leagues be it the american league or the nhl or or college hockey or whatever won't be uh looking hard well
2: and, and that's and 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 that's also a thing too like okay i hate it personally but i get it at the same time and maybe we're going to be the the test subjects for this rule and maybe eventually it does work its way up so sure um so that's well that's very good insight on like on how the rule change does get made though like going through that entire process from it getting submitted to committees and all of that. And then finally get getting voted on. And,
3: and I can tell you, there's a number of hours tied into this we, you know, the rule change- I can
2: only imagine.
3: The rule changes were published in, uh, yeah, all had to be in in November, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we had our first uh, four hour meeting as a rules committee in December, followed up by another uh, four hour Zoom call. Uh, and then we came out of the winter meetings with a little, um, uh, thin down book, uh, which was, uh, with recommendations. And then we had, uh, more meetings. Um, we had enough meetings that my wife was tired of hearing my voice.
2: So, <laughs> I can <laughs> yeah. imagine.
3: So, now- uh, and then we get to annual Congress where the vote takes
2: place. So. Mm-hmm it and so for those of us or for our listeners out there that have never heard this process before like it is it is a pretty big and daunting task to make these rule changes and it was something like when i first started officiating it was every other year Mm -hmm. and i can only imagine what it was like doing this every other year compared to now doing it once every four years and the amount like the ball always had to be rule moving on rule changes i would assume when it was done every other year
3: every every other year was a challenge i was first registered as a as an A house official in 1973 oh my goodness so um you know those were the days when you went to a seminar and you took your open book exam right there and they handed you a card and press when you walked out yeah. so i mean we've kind of evolved um ain't that the truth uh, but the rule change process has become daunting and it is, is it, it is extremely, uh, uh, detailed. Uh, they're not, the rule changes aren't made lightly. Uh, yeah. and, and, uh, there are a lot of rule changes in there that are going to impact the game that, you know, I read in social media, uh, about the reduced penalty times and, and, uh, uh, other other uh the no the uh, tap, no the immediate offside so mm-hmm. every one of those things were scrutinized pretty heavily
2: yeah and well, and I, I i was i had a thought about the sure. the the reduced penalty time thing is just guidance it's just hey here's what we recommend it's not right. a hey you have to do it, this.
3: it it's not a hey you got to do it but and, it all revolves around uh, if you're playing a 12-minute period,
2: mm-hmm.
3: why are we putting somebody in, in, in the penalty box for two minutes when in a 20-minute period that's 10 percent of the period time? In a 12-minute period, it's you know a sixth, <laughs> almost a sixth of the period. We want yeah. kids to play. We want the kids to play. Yeah, and it's not about it's not amount about relieving the responsibility for the infraction.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: It's about making the penalty time equivalent in percentage to the playing time that's available. And because if it wasn't about making players accountable for their behavior, the rule change that reduced the penalties from five to four and and 15 to 12 would have never gotten through. Yeah. So we're clearly trying to make players
2: accountable for their behavior and coaches accountable for the behavior of their teams. And that's actually a perfect segue to what I was going to ask you next, as far as like from the referee side um, and like enforcement of the rules and all that, was there anything that the referees brought, like, you know, yourself and Matt, you know, the referee side said, Hey, here's what we think should happen as far as like the rule change stuff should go. Maybe whether it be enforcement or number of penalties or like, were there any rules that, any rule changes that came about specifically because the referees said, hey, I think we should do this? Well,
3: there are, there are a couple introductions from the referee section, one of which was uh, uh, change the uh, bench minor penalty to and, and game misconduct to a coach to uh, the referee now has the option after I- issuing that first bench minor penalty for the coach's behavior. That mm-hmm. that penalty no longer had to just be on the clock in order to assess the game misconduct, Right. So now uh, once that bench minor has been assessed, the referee now has the option of assessing a second bench minor penalty, depending on the behavior of the coach uh-huh. or, if, or assessing
2: the game misconduct. conduct. Oh, just go. So once, see, I, I haven't gotten through. Yeah. All get it into yet. the
3: 601 stuff. It's, it's great. Um, Perfect. So now also, it's no
2: longer, I benched you once. Your bench you minor keep- go bye-bye. Five yep. minutes later, I have to bench you again before I can toss right. you. No, now I you can can right? No, you can go right. You
3: You can go right to the game or Perfect. bench him. The yeah. other change we made was uh, <laughs> on the assault of an official. Right? Uh, there was not a there was not a great um, middle ground there. There was touching and holding and impeding okay. an official from doing his job, which could be a misconduct or a game misconduct, and then there was a player who was trying to get at his opponent and you know, shoved you out of the way, or somebody threw a water bottle, not at you, but in your general direction.
2: Mm-hmm. So
3: we've added a uh, penalty there so that we're not going right to the assault on a game official, uh, causing this massive 30-day discussion and hearings yeah. and all this other stuff. And match penalties have been taken to a standard of application to reduce the amount of hearing time that these uh, volunteers had to set aside either once a month or whenever it was. So uh, a player could re- accept the uh, uh, general um, guidelines of uh, discipline, or he could he or she could ask for a hearing.
2: Okay. And
3: chances are, if you ask for a hearing, so, so that it's just not kind of gonna work out well.
2: That just streamlines the process for match. Right. I okay. So, I
3: mean, those are things we asked for and we wrote up. And so certainly we had input, Mm-hmm. but again um well we you know we're like you said when we opened this segment we, this is here for the players and the coaches and the parents we're here like police officers or anybody else we enforce the rules of the game to the best of our ability every night every time does that mean we're going to get it right 100 percent of the time nope
2: but very true
3: all i expect out of an official is an honest 100 percent effort brendan can tell you that um having uh been under my tutelage for a long time, right, Brendan? It, uh, be, be professional. Uh, know the rule book. Apply it to the best of your ability each and every time. Uh, hustle. Uh, treat disrespect with respect. And for God's sakes, have some fun out there. That's all but, I expect.
2: Ain't that the truth? If you're not
3: doing those five it, things. If you do those five things, we're gonna stay, at, we're not gonna have a lot of conversations.
2: It's uh it's funny though, we we, you know, just talking about the 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 rule with the coach. And I was going to chime in before you continue on. I was like, well, that rule doesn't help me any, because in 20 years of doing this, I refuse to throw out coaches <laughs> because of the way I handle my situations. I just straight up, like, I go over, like, here's the deal, bud. If, if, if you think you're going to leave so you can go drink a beer before I'm drinking a beer, that's not happening. You're staying here. Yeah. If I got
3: to suffer through it, you're suffering through it. Exactly. It. If uh, I'm stuck
2: uh, out here, you're stuck out here. Look, I mean,
3: look, if, if you can manage the game and, and I don't mean game management by avoiding calling tough penalties, but if you can manage the emotions, remember we're firemen, yeah. not fire starters. Yep. And, and our job is, is to keep players and coaches in the game and if talking somebody off the ledge works do it exactly. um, but that doesn't mean you have to accept
2: abuse or personal attacks or any of that um and something else that i was wondering about these rule changes um how does the high school side fit in? Because you said, you know, how the icing and the offside yeah. rule so, doesn't apply to them. icing. So what is USA Hockey's mentality of putting right. you so, here and then high school, like just off yeah. the side. Okay,
3: so you, you talk to our friends in Minnesota, right? That's where this really stemmed, for, stemmed from. Mm-hmm. We have 36, roughly, I think the number was 36,000 players playing high school hockey under USA hockey. Okay. And then of course, in the Northeast, in Minnesota, and in, in in some other- They're not USA others, hockey there. They're not USA, National High School Federation rules, right? Yes. And because the, in Minnesota, that's the greatest number of high school players playing both high school and USA hockey, um, they wanted high school to stay with the ghost playing federation playing under still with icing on the PK and the offside and the delayed offside or the tag of offside. So there's a long discussion about that. So as Brendan knows, Texas, we have high school hockey under USA hockey. Yep. So do uh, we do
2: here as well. Yeah.
3: So for that, that's one thing, but Minnesota was a little different. And Minnesota and Massachusetts run split seasons, right? Yep. Yep. So, yeah. Because you
2: play your – your beforehand yeah. USA, right? You play your high school, which is right. for them the more important mm-hmm. side, and then you right. play the rest of your USA right. games right. to go to nationals. So out of consideration
3: for the vast majority of players who were playing under Federation rules, primarily in Minnesota, that exception was granted. And of course for adult hockey, we didn't change any other.
2: Well, yeah, because could you imagine? There'd been a <laughs> mutiny if you did it. Well, know,
3: look, we, of most of the, most of those C and D players can't find the blue line anyway, so it doesn't. You know, let's <laughs> let's not make true. it. I, I I tell officials all the time when you work adult hockey, if you're not working the A levels where you have some experienced players, you know, when you in the morning when you go to, when they go to work, and somebody says to them, "What'd you do last night?" They say, well, "I played hockey." And I know for every official work in those games, what they just witnessed didn't look anything like hockey. but to those players, they played hockey yep. and you have to respect their effort. So let's not make the game any more complicated for those guys. Yeah. Than it already, than it already is. And, and let's move on.
2: Yeah. That, you know, I totally agree with that. And honestly, one of the rules that I was most happy with for rule changes was actually one of the adult ones where you don't have to substitute a guy when he gets a major. Yeah. So, and, so now, and when the major ex, expires, the player can just jump from the bench instead yep. of having to be in the penalty box. I was, yeah. I was actually really happy about that.
3: One. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's one of those common sense changes you make because you realize these guys are not national team bound. They're, you know, it's late at night. Mm-hmm. And what are we doing here? I mean, are, are we complicating the thing by putting, putting the team squid in the box for five minutes and he sits there and, you know, or, or someone's got to remember to get somebody in the box. I mean, I remember when we had that rule at the youth level and uh, you didn't have to put somebody in the box till the penalty expired. And, uh, you know, if I was the referee, I was in charge of the uh, over and under to see if the coach was actually (laughs) going to get somebody in the box before the penalty expired or how fast we were going to ding them for making an illegal substitution
2: from the bench. Mm -hmm. so, um, and I, I think really one of the other big ones that sticks out to me as far as these rule changes go. Um, and I don't know if I've read this wrong or read this right, but I believe it's in the the early part of like the preface of the book or the forward or whatever, like the standard mm-hmm. of rules initiative, where it talks about a body check has to be when a body check is being delivered. The player who's delivering the check, their skate, the blade of their stick has to be below their knees at the knee or below. That's correct. Okay.
3: Otherwise, a minor for roughing under 641D. Okay. And the reason so, for that is look, we had a lot of discussion about body checking and that, and that, and this is one of those rule changes, uh, guys, that really gets expanded throughout USA Hockey. All right. And um, we debated for better part of two years. uh, The Hockey Hockey Canada in Quebec requires stick on puck to deliver a body check. We didn't want to go there. Okay. But the overriding concern has been, of course, you guys have heard it. Purpose of a body check is to separate a player from the puck, not his head. Mm-hmm. We wanted to get the blow up hits and the unnecessary contact out of the game. Players are leaving the game because of, of, of some of that and concussions are a big deal right now. And they will be uh, health and the safety of our players and our officials are important. So the idea between uh, about the stick blade being at the knee or below is that you're making a play for the puck. You don't necessarily have to gain possession or control, but you have to be making a play to win possession. And the idea is if you're making a play to win possession, well, the stick blade needs to be somewhere in the vicinity of the puck. If it's not, if you're coming in with your arms extended and everything's up and high, then then that body check is not doing anything other than punish or intimidate uh, uh, the opponent. So that's where that came from. And it mitigated itself into discussing safety. The medical people were involved in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the youth council, uh, the, the coaches were uh, in favor of it. Uh, the coaches have sat in through all of this. One of the questions you asked me before is how do the referees feel about rule changes? Um, we talk about stick on puck. And part of what we talk about is can we teach it and can we enforce it? if we can't teach it then the rule change okay. is meaningless and if we can't enforce it it's doubly meaningless Makes so sense. stick on puck was really a tough deal yeah especially with our younger officials 15 16 17 year olds you know if we, they were all like you and i and Raw and brendan and, and around for a long time much easier teaching much easier deal but that's not the case we've got you know, and before COVID, obviously we have twenty-six thousand referees, ages eleven to seventy-five, all with different skill sets, understanding, comprehension, everything. That's like herding cats. Yeah, so you got you got to be able to teach it, and you've got to be able to enforce it. And that's that's really the key issues for us as officials.
2: Okay, so they they kind of came up with the stick below the knee is kind of that stick middle. Away. So yep. that's what yeah Stick blade below the knee as kind of a a middle ground I, obviously we want stick on puck ultimately but right we can't necessarily teach it from a coaching side or enforce it from an officiating side
3: yeah now i'm guarantee you're going to hear from parents in the early part of the season when some guy gets blasted in the wall you know that was a good check and not understand but the coaches. I've been involved in this entire process. So they can't, they can't, and they won't
2: uh, feign ignorance about stick played below the knee. Makes sense. So, and we, so, you know, talking about the coaches here, um, I have two things that pop into my head and things that I've always wanted to ask. One particularly um, is there any possible way? we could get the coaches when they certify to even take a 20 question, like level one level rules test. Is there um, any way we can get them to do that?
3: You know, my counterpart for the coaching section, Mike McMillan and I kind of beat that around and Mike kind of rolls his eyeballs saying we got enough going on. And I understand that he does. And his coaches have enough too. I mean, um, uh, I, uh, share with you a story, uh, I, I, Wes McCauley and I had a conversation about that and Wes said, uh, to me, he said, any coach that gets a game misconduct penalty should have to officiate five games before he gets back on the bench. And I love it. I said to Wes, I said, I'm going to bring that to Mike McMillan to see how far that gets, <laughs> but, but really, I mean, if you establish a good rapport with the coach, Mm-hmm. And that's part of what we put in the rule book. We want officials introducing themselves to coaches uh, prior to the game, or at least having a conversation to initiate that rapport a little bit. We okay. want you talking to them. If you do that the game becomes a little bit easier, just like talking to players and, you know, goaltenders and all the rest. Uh, so uh, if you just reiterate that, just like we did when the line change procedure came out, you know, you, you went to the benches and you said, Coach, sure, you understand the line change procedure. I need you to work mm. with me here. I'm going to look to you. Same thing here, coach. I want to remind you, you know, just like we do with equipment, everybody's got mouth yeah. guards, everybody's ear flaps are in place. and you're, you know that body check has to be delivered with the stick blade below the knee. I mean, it's, yeah. it's just a good five oh, second yeah. conversation.
2: It's that rapport thing where if you build it with them, they're just going to trust you that you know the rules. Right. Like, right. I mean, I definitely have that for myself like for me and I know Brendan probably does as well I I love and by the way I love doing these interviews because Brendan just sits here and he's like I'm just along for the ride (laughs) 100% no but like
1: if, if if we're being honest I mean in Dallas we've done the go to talk to coaches oh man like probably like five or six years now at least and and it's one of those things where at the start of the season when we first started to do it it was like why are we doing this this is dumb like you have an issue with the coach the year before. And you're like, I do, I really want to go talk to him. But it's one of those things where by the end of the season, you know, the guy's name, you know, what he wants. And it's one of those things where it's so much easier to go and diffuse a situation when you know exactly what he's going to need.
3: No, well, I, I, I bought off said, when I talk in front to parents and uh, coaching groups and, and uh, I've spoken to here in Dallas uh, and Houston to the, uh, coaches at their uh relative uh their seminars I'll walk in there and say see I I left my pitchfork and horns in the car you know I'm a real human being uh I just have a job to do and uh let's talk about some things and uh and we we go back and forth and they'll bring up stuff from other games and my standard answer is I wasn't there I didn't see it I can't comment on I'm certainly not going to uh comment on something I didn't see firsthand and certainly not going to you know Throw another official under a bus, um, but that being that being said, uh, I always tell them. I say, you know, we don't talk much on the ice as officials, but you get us into this environment, you can't shut us up. I mean, we really want to talk. To you. We we every one of us it, it, much rather be talking to somebody off the ledge and handing out penalties. I'm I'm pretty convinced of that.
2: Oh, absolutely.
3: Um, you know. I always used to find out the goaltender's first name because I felt they were watching 50% of the game and saw the same <laughs> nonsense I saw. And I made them two promises. I wouldn't let my linesmen drop the puck until I knew they were ready. And I wasn't, and I'd cover for them, but they can't come out of the crease swinging their stick like, like uh, Zorro. So if you do those two things, we're going to be, get along fine. You know what? Um, that goes a lot further than, than uh, just uh, banging out penalties all and, the time.
2: And, it's, it's funny, like my second thing that I was going to ask, because I, I knew we're never going to get the coaches to take a rule test. No. Um, but my other thing is, you know, you've said you've you've walked into the coaches, you know, into the meetings and stuff like that. What about requiring like and maybe like because they do an annual coaching seminar kind of like we do, correct? Right sure do. so why don't we or why doesn't usa hockey say hey at these coaching seminars we have to set aside an hour for some one of the referees from the local affiliate to come in and talk about stuff
3: i will tell you that at least at least in the rocky mountain district
2: okay we do
3: that okay okay Um, We have that relationship with our coaching chiefs Mm -hmm. and we have that relationship at the local level. And I would tell you uh, whatever district you're in, um, your key supervisors should be reaching out to your coaching leaders and, and ask for that time.
2: Okay. And I, I I
3: almost assuredly they will give it to you.
2: Yeah. And, I, and I don't doubt that they do like Chris Mariners, our state supervisor, Dewey's our district RIC Mm -hmm. and the Southeast district we're loaded. Like I, I have no complaints about our leadership in our district. I think all of them do an outstanding job. I just, I feel like as far as with dealing with the day-to-day stuff with coaches, you know, or weekend to weekend, I should say, not, not necessarily day-to-day. But I just I feel like there's something more that we could ask from each other as far as between the coaches and the officials to be able to either, hey, we're going to give you guys an hour at our at our at your seminar. Right. And then maybe I know like some of the higher level stuff that I've done, we've actually had coaches come in and talk to us. Right. um, And and that
3: was that was going to be my next comment. There are coaches that will tell you they want to come to your seminar and they want to be able to impart wisdom of of what they're trying to accomplish to the referees.
2: And I just feel like maybe that's something at the, you know, the big USA hockey level at the national level, they could, you know, take a look at and think about incorporating, you know, let's get them closer together and maybe have a guy, you know, or dedicate time at each side seminars to a, you know, like a local area coach or, you know, you know, referee, whatever, just to show the most of these coaches, Hey, we are human. Well, so for, for the seven
3: years that I've been a district referee and chief, and I've been a section director for four uh, uh, now, um, I will tell you, we are a lot closer today than where we were and, seven or uh, eight years ago.
2: That's awesome.
3: I will also tell you that turning the ship at USA hockey and I, am not directed to in any one particular group is like trying to turn an aircraft carrier with a trolling motor. <laughs> it takes time.
2: Oh, I'm uh, sure it does. And it,
3: it's a big machine and um, change is, is a painstaking methodical process. Um, well, I mean,
2: obviously, obviously it is just, we, you know, having discussed the rule change process, mm-hmm. let alone yeah. trying to to get the coaching side and the officiating side to share some time with each other. Some
3: of the some of the key uh, uh, initiatives that we've been successful with is we we approached we involved coaches on our abuse panel okay. talking about abusive officials and how it was driving people out of the game officials out of the game and and when we shared with them the some of the examples of what was what was going on both in video and not just in hockey but in all sports I mean it, this is not just oh, limited it's, to hockey
2: yeah it's definitely not just a hockey problem um, because I've seen some the, crazy the, awareness,
3: the awareness the awareness level is significantly higher than where where it is and where it was seven or eight years ago so in, in good time, we'll get better. Yep, we'll get I, I definitely
2: agree. And it's definitely gotten better, um, at least in our area, um, just through working with coaches and um, like the different programs that our affiliates have done and all that kind of stuff. Um, what was the other thing that I had about the coaches? I had those two. I think that was it on the coaching side. So one of the things <laughs>
3: I tell, tell referees when they complain about coaches and or players, I always ask them that the very, this question, what did you do on the ice? How did you deal with the situation? Did you yell, mm-hmm. scream, use profanity back at him? What, what did you do? How did you handle it? And, and that's when I say, treat disrespect with respect. You have the authority of the rule book. No reason to get mad at anybody. Hell, he's part of the game apply the rule book and, and go about your business. Um, keep everything at a professional low key level. Keep your emotions in check. Don't yep. do anything or say anything that can be quoted or, or recounted to anybody. You don't want yep, to be quoted. Don't say it.
2: Yeah. Cause we all know how that went this yep. past, past season. <laughs>
3: yes, that's right.
2: So
1: Brendan, Yeah, two things I wanted to ask. The first one is um, going to the major penalties with an automatic game misconduct no matter what anymore. What is the theory behind that? Like, I know 90, probably 95% of the time, if you're calling a major, you're calling a game misconduct. But, like, I also feel like if a guy spears somebody in the nuts, it's like, it's not worth a. It, it's it's worse than a minor, but to me, it's not worth getting a guy kicked out of a game. Well, spearing is well, always, <laughs> so, I mean, always a five in a game. You're
2: nuts. You probably spearing is always a five in a game. I think we're more leaning towards like the high stick, the um, cross check. Uh, Trying to think, what were the other two? So when that was just role, like a trip.
3: Well, when that when that well. When that rule came out, there are two impacts on that. First of all, um, the game misconduct was associated with an injury, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and so one of the things that came out of the rule change process is we no longer expect officials to be doctors.
2: Which is nice. <laughs> it,
3: right. So it, it's the vulnerable, defenseless, unsuspecting, follows the IIHF rule. Okay. Okay. The other side of that was, came from the youth council, really, that if somebody got a penalty that was worthy of a major, why do you want the guy in the game to begin with?
2: Yep, I don't disagree with that.
3: Right? And it, it, it gets back to safety. Mm-hmm. And, and everybody's concerned about that. We want players staying in the game. And so if you, if you um, slash somebody in a manner that's worthy of a major penalty probably doesn't belong in the game anymore. If you, if you uh, uh, high stick, somebody bring the stick up across the helmet, let's say mm-hmm. the game So it gets back to, yeah, fouls will happen and minor penalties are really what they say minor penalties Things that happen during the course of the game, major penalties have some level of intent. Makes sense. So, again, to the players, I don't necessarily want to assess a major penalty.
2: Don't do it. (laughs) Makes sense. (laughs) Just don't do it. Yep. Um, I just, it was just one of those things. Like for me, when I saw that, I mean, obviously there was only four thing, four rules that didn't have the automatic game so like i felt like with some of them it was a little bit still like we still had a little bit of allowable like game management skills if that makes sense like like if you high stick a guy and their stick comes up and you clip them in the chin maybe they're bleeding a little bit but it wasn't on purpose you give them the major you don't give them the game you know, kind of like how it's a double minor and, and junior right. and pro. Mm-hmm. Like, stuff like that. I'm like, okay, yeah, it was an accident. You caught him, but I'm not going to kick you out of the game for it. So, I felt like that kind of pulled it away, but at the same time, obviously, I understand the mentality behind it. You know, Boarding, um, cha- boarding charging, you know. Well, yeah, well, those are no questions. And they asked. were always there, right? Yeah, so, those are so no the questions. Other ones, they, just, they just added to it. and and it uh, it does it does streamline it and make it easier hey it's a five it's a game like i don't even have to think about it right um the other thing that just popped into my head was oh yeah match penalties what so we changed the verbiage to reckless Mm -hmm. what was the thought process behind that?
3: So if it again that gets reckless, uh, vulnerable, unsuspecting, whatever I, I, I
2: recalling words off. The top I, of my I head. feel like with, with the verbiage of reckless, it makes it it, it even makes it easier now to call the match penalty. Well, if if
3: that it, look, I've always said I when people say what's a match penalty to you, and I said so when I see an act on the ice and I go, oh holy shit. Yeah. Right? Yep. Right. You know, when you see a player make no attempt to make a hockey play at all, mm-hmm. that's reckless. Yep. Yeah. I used to say, I, I, when I used to teach head contact when it first came out, I called it rest in peace. RIP, reckless, intentional, principal point of contact. Got you out of the game. I Makes mean, sense. if the stick was, if, if your hands or your stick was up there and you were, it was it was just, you, you had no regard for your opponent um, and and it was intentional, uh, you came from the other side of the ice surface as hard as you could and you made initial contact with us. You're done. It's just see you. Have, have a nice afternoon somewhere else. But I'm not dealing with you anymore. And it gets back to the respect. And this is this this is where I, I get called the dinosaur. Right. Um, because when I was playing uh, youth hockey, when I was much younger, uh, we knew all we knew everybody we were playing against. And you had a certain level of respect for your opponent. Some of that, a lot of that's missing
2: from the game. Now. Oh, it's so good. Right?
3: right? These, these players are armored up. They're all wearing cages. They've got shoulder pads that make them look like Lawrence Taylor on steroids.
2: Uh, <laughs> the, elbow,
3: the elbow pads you can open tuna cans with. Um, they're virtually invincible.
2: Mm-hmm. And they
3: forget yeah. how vulnerable their opponents are. If you look at youth hockey, you've got 16-year-olds that are shaving twice a day and other 16 year olds that don't weigh 120 pounds soaking wet. Yeah. And that's the purpose of the game is not to destroy a a 120 pounder or have two, 210 pounders square off at each other, seeing who's going to be the toughest guy in the block. It's hockey. It's
1: hockey. I will say, I absolutely love the fact that it got changed to reckless though because it makes it so much easier when explained to a coach, even if the kid's not hurt, it's like, but it wasn't a hockey play. Because I think right. a lot of coaches got hooked on like, oh, well, he's going to be out there next shift. And it's like, you know what? He probably is, but it's not a hockey play. And, and that's what we're calling the major for.
3: And, and, we, and we also dealt with the idea that even a player that came back who appeared, who got his bell rung or whatever, Right, came back in the game, played the rest of the game. And then we've got an email from the parents saying, you know, that my son got drilled in this play. And, and we had to take him to the hospital post game, and he's got a concussion or he had a fracture or whatever it is. So he was hurt. How do we deal with that? And, and they, always want, they always want that player to, uh, who committed that foul then to, to do the Batan death march you know, for injuring their son after the fact. And, and you know, you're an official. I mean, you're 21 years old, 22 years old. You have no medical degree. You're uh, uh, mm-hmm. at, uh, uh, making observation of the play and the condition of the player and trying to determine, is he injured? Is he not injured? Is he going to get up? Is he seeing little birds and butterflies? What's Does he know where he's at? Uh, and then, of course, you got the coach who wants to start player back in the game. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It it removes all of that.
2: You know, as far as – so, again, this comes from the the side of me that realizes why we do these rule changes, not the hardcore, like, what everything that they've done in this – really everything that we as an organization have done over the last – probably I'd say eight years now between the last two big rule changes. The player safety is – the obviously the focal point and it's gotten better every year because we're getting rid of those hits in the youth level and it's going away at the higher levels too granted we still you still see them in pro hockey it, it does happen and it is an emotional game so there's a lot there that has been done to improve player safety and i know like for me when i was growing up playing we didn't you know concussions were still like we were getting them, but we didn't really understand them. And Mm -hmm. the kids now, like, they have it so much better as far as a player safety side goes than I had it, than you had it. Obviously with the equipment, but also. No question
3: question about it. I I can tell you that when I was playing um, and, uh, you know, you got hit and you didn't remember how the game got finished and you came back and played the next day, right? Mm -hmm. As yep. long as you you stayed up and didn't uh, get nauseous, uh, hey, you're, you good. Know, <laughs> you're good. You're good. You know, rub some dirt on it, go on. Those days are over with. Yep. Uh, we're learning more and more about concussions and the lasting effects of them. And quite honestly, if you watch the upper levels of the game and, and you know, point to the NHL, you don't see those players making those unnecessary hits. No, nope. not as much anymore. It's super rare. You know, rare. Um, you know uh, they talk about. Uh, how the game has changed at the NHL level. Uh, you know, all those players now know each other. This isn't the old 16 league with 120 players uh, making seven thousand dollars a year trying to eke out a living. Uh, mm-hmm. there's a lot of money on the table, and there's 20,000 fans in, a, in the stands, and uh, it's got some entertainment value. And nobody is paying the kind of money for an NHL ticket to come watch. Uh, uh, minor league players play. They're looking to see their stars. They want to see coast They want to see Kucherov. They want to see uh, uh, the Hughes brothers. They, they, you know, they, you know, they want to see those guys play. That's what the game's about. And That's having true. them get injured recklessly uh, doesn't put any money in anybody's pocket.
2: No, it doesn't. Um, and and the game has certainly grown because of all of these, you know, the player safety stuff. Look at. Just look at the TV deal that the NHL just signed. It's 650 million between uh, TNT and uh, ESPN now. So, like, it's just – it's definitely growing. The player safety is there. The fans are enjoying it. Look at um, when Wayne
3: Gretzky was traded to Los Angeles. Oh, I know. Throughout, throughout, his, yep. throughout the U.S. Yep. Right? So, so
2: oh. it, uh these rule changes definitely also come with a lot of pushback. So I think uh, I want to I want to close with this as far as like the rule change stuff goes. For you, what would you say to the other hat that I wear? That's like f this I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to referee youth hockey. I don't want to deal with this crap. Um, what do you what what do you say to the guys that are out there that are just like why like hey, what, hey, hey. or what's hey, your Go ahead, go ahead. I'll let Here's you... what I'll tell you.
3: When I started officiating back, uh, you know, when we were still having clamp-on skates and, you know, those sorts of things. Um, dinosaurs. Dinosaurs. And, you know, <laughs> uh, my, fir- my first game, and, and I don't expect anybody to know this, was uh, at, at Branchbrook Park in Newark, New Jersey, uh, in a Bantam game. And I, it was my first game, and I was the referee. And the only thing I did right was got my car in the parking lot and got to the ice surface on time. And after that, it was a disaster. Okay. And back then, the the basic rule book was uh, you had the rule book, but uh, the game was no autopsy, no penalty. Mm -hmm. So um, today, uh, you know, we have a much more uniform standard. Uh, And you will go through the you won't go through the seminar block, but Brendan will see some of it. Uh, the seminar decks are uniform nationally this year. For the first time in all the years I've been associated with USA Hockey, we have a national seminar deck for every level. Every seminar is, there's no more freelancing it. And to those officials who are going, oh my God, look at these changes. I don't know if I want to do this anymore whatever. The game has evolved. It's not the hockey that, that you grew up with that i grew up with in the 60s and 70s uh and it wasn't it's not the it's not the broad street bullies and the big bad bruins or the wild scoring of the 80s or the neutral zone trap of the 90s with the new jersey devils and it's none of that the game is a much better game you look at what you see on tv look at look at your look at tampa bay lightning look at look at look at look at the Look at uh, Edmonton. Look at the look at the skating we're seeing. Look at the skill we're seeing. And and it, do we want to see that or we do we want to see um, do we want to see uh, bench line brawls and all that other stuff that we saw? That's all pretty boring stuff now. All the choreographed fights that we saw back in the early two thousands, where guys were making appointments prior to the game in the warm up. You know we you know we'll get on the ice. We'll, nobody wants to see that. It's boring the game's Agreed. a much better game and as officials our job is to make sure that 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 the game's officiated according to the rules and i know that uh, like police officers we're going to have some differences in what we think of a particular rule
2: change that's fine but we still got to go out there and do it Still so got to do it go out there and do it
3: and i guarantee you your love of the game is greater than any one rule change Very that's true. why we do it We're not doing – none of us are are going to the National Hockey League. None of us are going to have a microphone taped to our belt where we get to announce penalties. That's a very select group of people. So if you're not – going back to the five things I said, if you're not having fun, time to do something else.
2: I'm sorry, Ken. It just – it wouldn't be a Team Stripes podcast without a dog interruption. Well, my – This is –
3: My dachshund's bored. He's laying under the desk here, so (laughs) –
2: this is a recurring thing yep. theme run, on podcast of the podcast where Shadow just wants attention. Yep. So this is our unprofessional moment of the podcast.
3: That's right.
1: <laughs> I, I will say, though, um, obviously, I, I, I mean, Ross, unless you have anything else.
2: Um, I So I don't know if you remember this, Ken, but I came out and did a tournament for you like 2008.
3: 2008, 2009, maybe?
2: It would have been, a it, would have been a, it was a triple A tournament. And the thing that I remember the most about it, and it's kind of a sad thing, I remember getting off the airplane and they, um, the news about Heath Ledger had broke. And I was getting off the airplane in Dallas and I was just like, oh man, what, like the Batman movie. And then I went and did the tournament, which was an absolute blast. Um, God, we had such a I – I wish I could remember some of the guys that I worked at tournament with now that I'm, I'm drawn. I'd have to dig back. I mean, I've, I've got to <laughs> – But you guys got – you guys put me in a hotel. You got me a rental car, the whole bit. And honestly, it was one of the best tournaments that I've ever worked. And especially at that point in my career, like working that level of – I think it was U16 and U18 AAA certainly helped me turn the corner because the next year I was in the ODP
3: had to be, uh, if it was 16 and 18 AAA, it had to be our weekend. We used to run a Martin Luther King weekend tournament. I think there that's what be, it was. There were two tournaments that were running alongside. There was a the Dallas Stars um, program that had uh, a major tier one, tier two mm-hmm. uh, event. And we'd have to bring in officials for that because on top of that, we had our regular Martin Luther King weekend tournament. And in that weekend, we'd have about 600 games in Dallas.
2: Yep. Yeah, I worked at all the different Dr. Pepper centers. Yep. I remember doing Shattuck-St. Mary. I remember there was a Russian team. Yep. Um,
3: And And usually a
2: team from Mexico came up. Okay. Uh,
3: There's also the Junior Kings. uh, um, I know the Sharks uh, were there. Russell Stover, Junior Sharks.
2: uh, I I do remember – I do remember calling a butt end. It was Russell Stover and I wanna say Honey Baked for playing each other. And I called a butt end as a linesman on a Russell Stover's player.
3: Yeah, probably had to deal with that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So that's that's all I had. I just I had to bring it up because I was like, man, that was a long time ago. And I haven't really talked to Ken since. So, but man, this was great. I greatly appreciate your time. I know we've been trying to line this up for a few weeks um i mean heck we haven't brendan and i haven't even recorded in i think like a month since, and a half month and a half since like before the stand Cup Finals started um but we thank you for your time thank you for uh you know going over the rule change process and talking about some of them and and thank you for everything you do as far as like just being a member of usa hockey in the position that you're in Thanks guys.
3: I I really appreciate the time and I know it was uh, a challenge to get all this organized in, in whatever, with all these schedules and everything. Uh, I appreciate the time. I'd much rather be answering questions and talking to people like this than uh, so we can uh, be better on the ice uh, and uh, better for the game. Uh, Not doing it and sitting in our own own worlds and, and, and ragging on uh, social media doesn't help us doesn't help us as a group. Uh the way we get better is learning from each other. So uh I invite anybody who's got questions. Uh my email address and my phone number must be on every bar bathroom wall across the country. So I'm happy I I'm happy to answer questions and talk about it. And, you know, look, we learn some stuff too. Uh, uh, you know, we nobody nobody's perfect. Nobody makes uh, every decision a hundred percent. So if there's uh, some input that uh, somebody has an idea about, uh, we're, I'm glad to listen to it. Um, awesome. That's why I got two ears and one mouth.
2: <laughs> Fair enough. Well, on that note, we, we, again, thank you so much. Brendan, anything?
1: No, I mean, I I mean, again, thank you very much for coming on. Thanks for everything you do for, I mean, USA hockey, Dallas hockey, everything. I mean, I I can sit here and go on and on about how how you helped me just in my career. I mean, you helped me get to the ODP. Like you were a big step along the way. Supervised me at all these showcases. Like it's 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 just like thank you. And I mean, obviously. I, I, I kind of wish slow. I was still back
3: on the ice, but I'm too old, too slow, and too fat now to do that. Song. Hey, you can come line. <laughs>
1: you can come line a game. I'll wear the bands. We can throw somebody else on there. Yeah.
3: Man, well, that's somebody else oh, needs to dude. be able to cover for me. Ken, <laughs> that's Ken, fair.
2: You, Ken, you just reminded me of something I said to Cavs a while ago. I, he, I was texting about a game I was working. He goes, yeah, I know. I was watching. I was like, cause he was watching one of the linesmen that was working. I was like, so Ken, how are uh, Cavs? How'd I do other than old fat and slow? <laughs> <laughs> there
3: you go. I bet you he told you too.
2: Oh, yeah. No, he said I did. I was whatever. But it was just it was funny that you said old, fat and slow. I just I had a laugh mm-hmm. about that.
3: Yeah, my One of my last games working, uh, I had a coach. I was hanging out at the red line and he asked me, he leaned over the wall and he asked me, you said, you going into the zone anytime soon? I said, as soon as you guys start hitting the net, I might get down there. But as long as I <laughs> keep going off the wall and
2: coming back out of here, there's no reason for me to go in there. Perfect. I love it. I love it. I think that's a, that's a great one to end end our, uh, our segment on. And uh, now we'll go ahead and go back to the main podcast. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the insight that uh, Ken gave us on all things rule changes, everything that goes into it. It was awesome having him on. Um, He's definitely been around a very long time. I, uh, I worked a tournament for him back in 2008, Uh, out there in dallas which was an absolute blast um he's good people and uh, it was just a pleasure to have him on the on the podcast so i guess really i want to talk about the advanced officiating symposium um i was supposed to go in 2020 uh obviously that didn't happen uh due to uh this little thing called covid um so i did go this year it was in providence rhode island which worked out for me cause my whole family's from there. So, uh, I stayed with my cousin, got to see a bunch of family members, had a car and a free paid place to stay, uh, took the boys out. We went to, um, we went up federal Hill, uh, which is the hardcore Italian area of Providence. Um, it was cool. Uh, when myself, uh, Chris Mariner, who's been on the podcast, and, uh, one of our other Florida referees, Logan Berkowitz, who I'm going to have on at some point, uh, we went to uh, an Italian restaurant and the, uh, the girl is, uh, straight off the boat from Italy. It was awesome. She, uh, and she actually, um, she had just gotten her citizenship is what she was telling us. Oh, so that honor. was, that was really cool. But anywho, side story over, um, the symposium was awesome. Um, If you are an official that is in a position to achieve tenured status, I could not recommend it more highly. Um, The speakers were amazing. We had, uh, let's see, to start off, we had Chris Rooney, then we had uh, Brian Murphy, Scott Zelkin, um, Don Adam was there, uh, Paul Stewart, uh, Jess LeClerc, Katie Gway. Uh, It was just, it was a who's who of USA hockey officials. Um, Matt Leaf, BJ Ringrose, uh, Nick Zegliffa. We had the gentleman who was basically the founder or was the founder of the officiating education program, uh, Mark Rudolph. Uh, He spoke. uh, uh, Ben Smith, who was the head coach of the 1998 women's Olympic team that won gold in Nagano was there it was um man it was awesome the the presentations were all great uh getting to talk to people from all over the country was great um got to run into some listeners so that was cool uh i can't i can't recommend it more highly to people and then the best part about it when i got home a couple of days afterwards they entered in the fact that i was a tenured official i did the tenured official modules and my safe sport retraining. It took me less than a half hour to do that. Sold. And I did my open book test, which I missed three on without using the book. Cause I always take the open book test the first time without using the book. Um, and I was done. I only had to do like six modules safe sport and an open book and that's it i'm so glad i next year every year that's all i have to do is the mo- a couple of modules safe sport <laughs> and an open book and i'm done
1: i'm so i'm so glad i get to do this next year yes yeah, just... uh,
2: allegedly san jose oh that's about. um that's what the rumor is i don't I'm know how true or not that is but allegedly san jose is is the location there Uh, eyeing so i think uh with that we should uh we need to uh discuss what are we doing with the podcast going forward yeah so i mean obviously we took i think about
1: a month and a half maybe two months off yeah i really well you
2: know what's funny is is you know my my team got to the stanley cup finals and we just we we didn't record i i want to say it's because brendan was just upset that the lightning went back to back
1: if we're being honest, that that probably didn't help <laughs> the fact that, that they did go back-to-back. I mean, good on them for going back-to-back. Cup,
2: boat parade, repeat. <laughs>
1: not next year, thankfully. That's all I know.
2: Oh, I don't know, man. It's so funny because uh, I'm not expecting much, but Big Rig Pat Maroon came out and said, we can do it again.
1: I wouldn't put it past them. I really like, want like at this point I wouldn't even be surprised. I'd be like, yeah, here we go. Yep. Um, but no, so we, we, I mean, by, by the end of the season, I know personally for me, I was absolutely burnt out just hockey wise. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I practically hated
2: hockey, um, <laughs> which is, is not a good thing. Oh my and, God. Speaking of that, it was so funny. They were going around the room at one point asking people why they do this. And um, I, I, I told, I was in the car with my state supervisor. I go, Chris, if they would have asked me, my answer would have been, well, I hate hockey. Yeah. I'm only still a referee because of the people like you in this room. And he goes, that probably wasn't the answer they were looking for. But
1: it is damn true some days. Oh,
2: it is. It's one of those things like I I'll be 35 next month. I've been officiating for this is my 20th season um and i've been playing since i was six years old so i've been around the game a long time and there are days when i love this game more than anything else in the world it's given me so many opportunities but at the same time there are days when i'm just like why
1: (laughs) yeah i mean i've i i can definitely relate to that um (laughs) But so what we're probably going to do is just do the simple fact of we're a referee podcast and there's nothing to talk about referee wise. Yeah. Uh, we're going to wait till the season starts and then do episode 100, get everybody back on that, make that a big,
2: huge to do because. Yeah. Of so we're going to have, we're going to have Logan and Brandon on. Uh, I'm going to try to get another couple of guests, some, some previous interviewers Um and uh that have been part of the podcast so we'll we'll definitely plan that going forward and that's going to be huge and and maybe we'll come up with some kind of giveaway for our 100th episode i'm sure we will and if we do we'll definitely announce
1: it but um yeah i mean that, that's kind of our game plan right now i know for me like these past two months have been absolutely insane just personally uh i actually well got you got a thing. new job right yeah i got this thing called a job like an actual nine to five job a job. Yeah, Oof. and uh, I, I will say I, I'm loving it so far. Thankfully, I, I hate, you know, waking up early, but it's <laughs> one of those things where I came to a point in my referee career that I don't want to call it the peak, but it might have been the peak um, due to a lot of reasons. I, I know when I first started doing this, you know, at 18 and, like, going to work junior hockey, I, I said by the age of 24 – if I haven't been full-time or I don't have the really good shot at going full-time that, you know, like at that point it's, it's time to move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, 24th birthday came in May, realized that I was like, Oh, well shit. Here, here's, here's the issue. I mean, plain and simple. I was told time and time again by the higher ups in the ODP, whether that's, you know, Mono, Morrison, Zelkin, Keith Cavall. I mean, Chris Allman, when he was still around, like all of them said it time and time again to me that all I had to do was lose weight to go full-time ODP. Mm-hmm. I never did that. I, I shot myself in the foot, never did that. I never went full-time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's one of those things where it was definitely bittersweet for me. I'm still going to skate the ODP. Um, I, I, I still want to skate. It's just one of those things where it's now no longer the primary focus. Yeah. Uh, which was a very weird, we, uh, we all,
2: we all come to that point in our career. Like, um, it, and it's definitely one of those things. It is kind of tough. Like, uh, I, I know, I know the feeling when, when, uh, when the ship sails, but at the same time though, all it does is just shift your direction. hundred percent, you know, like that, when when that dream goes away it doesn't mean you stop chasing it like you still go out there and ref you be the best guy you can be on the ice so you know what so so you don't go up the ladder one way you go up a ladder the other way you be the best guy in your area you help mentor the young guys coming up and just go out there and and do service to the game at the level that you're working yeah. I mean, um,
1: a, a hundred, I agree with you a hundred percent. And
2: that's, that's really the biggest thing. Cause like for me, you know, I did five years in the Southern pro league and then just after my fifth season, like I didn't even get the email to come back the next year. Um, But that was really based on where I was, you know, be, me living in Tampa and all that. And then I think it was a year later, So I had a year break from working pro hockey. I got the email from the ECHL that, you know, they wanted me to be part of the staff. So that was awesome. Um, but it's very limited. Like I work a few games a year when, when Steven and Joe need me to, um, and I do those games to the best of my ability, but I also know that I do have responsibilities here as an official, whether it be with training and mentoring the young guys, um, just because I'm not working or we're not working that highest level that we wanted to get to doesn't mean the games were working, whether it's, you know, ACHA, CHF, USPHL, NA, NA three, whatever leagues that we're still working doesn't mean that we still don't want to go out there and be the best guy at that level. And that's kind of, that's what keeps me coming back is I always push myself to be the best guy at that level because that's what I want to be. And I hold myself to a certain standard as an official. And I think if you do the same, it's not the end of the road. It's just, Hey, be the best guy you can be at the level you're working and enjoy it. Have fun. Yeah. It's, 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 it's
1: funny that the more I thought about it and like talked about it, with just people, you know, like my inner circle, mm-hmm. it was one of those things where I, I still, I still very much want to get into a professional hockey game. I don't care. Yeah. It's the Coast League, the Southern professional hockey. I don't yep. care. I just want to say I skated pro hockey at this yeah. point. And it's one of those well, things where it's like, that's
2: still very much doable. Oh, well, it longer. is. And, and here's the thing you're still young, you're 24. Okay. So, and th- this is to anybody, not, and this isn't just you. This is my best advice. We all know what it takes now to get to the higher levels as far as fitness, skating ability game management ability like at, at this point it, it's no secret what it takes and if you're missing any one of those things that's what you have to work towards and if it's like for me personally i got on the scale about a, a month and a half ago and um i i'd been put on uh, i was on zoloft for about nine months um uh, for my uh for my depression i have since switched meds oh, hold on here. My, my video knocked out. So I've, have, I've have since switched meds, but the Zoloft put 30 pounds on me. I got on the scale and I was the heaviest I've ever been. And I was like, whoa, this has got to change. I've already, I'm down about 10 pounds already. Um, because I've been going to the gym every single day like as often as I can. Um, I did take a week off because I went, to, I got stuck in Rhode Island, by the way. I was supposed to be home on Monday. I get to the airport and they're like, oh, but, and Frontier's like, uh, you're here till Wednesday.
0: Congrats. So I had to call, I had
2: to call my cousin and be like, yo, uh, come get me. I'm here another two days. But control what you can control. Um, so, I mean, obviously that, you know, the weight thing for you is what they told you. Yep. You know what? If you take small steps now, a little bit at a time over the next year or two it, it adds up like so let's say you start some kind of a fitness journey is what is what i guess they call it um and get yourself in shape and who knows what doors could open for you it, it you know this isn't the end of the road for you just like like for me it's i'm still working I'm, i mean like i said i'm gonna be 35 and for the Tampa area, I pretty much worked the best hockey we got every single weekend. And when I got on the scale, I was like, yo, you have a standard that you hold yourself to with your officiating. And if you can't maintain that, you got a problem. So that's when I was like, shit, I got, I I have to make changes. And that's what I've done. So And that's, that's for everybody, you know, like figure out what your deficiency is and fix it a little bit at a time. 100%
1: I agree with all of that. I will say though, the one nice part about no longer, you know, pursuing this full time is the shittiest side of this job is the business side of it where Mm -hmm. you're not at the next level for whatever reason it could be, it could be, it could be because your feet are too big, you know, like the yeah. <laughs> business side of this, of, of this industry sucks. Plain and simple. It sucks. And for the longest time for me, it was business, 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 business mm-hmm. drove all the fun out of it. Yeah, and, and that's, that's not on anybody's fault. That's just, that's the simple well, truth. And that's
2: the mental thing too. Like you're getting in your own head about it now. Guess what? You don't have that monkey oh. on your back dude it's it's so nice now i just go out and referee like i because because at the end of
1: the day it doesn't matter like
2: i'll tell you my second full-time season in the southern pro league i went through a stretch where i was in my head so bad about every little like i was evaluating myself during the game yep and it i was brutal. i went through a stretch where i was brutal I had that stretch this year. Because I was in my own head. But then when you get out of your own head about stuff, things change. And then you go out there and have fun. Like when the ship sailed for me, I was like, okay, well, maybe I'm not going to make it to whatever level. Now I'm going out and having fun. And it rubbed off on the players. And then I ended up being one of the more liked guys on the ice. Yep.
1: It's it's definitely one of those things where, looking at it now i'm like holy shit i can just go ref stress-free because at the end of the day there's there's yes there are consequences if i mess up but like i i'm not trying to go full-time
2: odp so if i if
1: i screw up a game in the odp it's like yeah i might not get another one but it's like
2: oh fuck i had a great fucking ride yeah well you're not going to screw up because you're a good linesman so let's just let's just put a squash on that calves he's not going to screw up he's a good linesman I, 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 what, I do agree what, what we need, what you just need to do, go out there, work the game, have fun, focus on the little things that you can do. And, you know, maybe the door temporarily closed, but who knows, start, I'm, going, yeah, to, like, start going to the damn gym <laughs> for and real, work no. on that. Cause that's one of those things that you can control. Yep. And I think all of our listeners, the things that you can control are your fitness, your skating ability, your knowledge of the rule book your application of the rule book um your rapport with players all that stuff all the things that you can strive to get better at and it doesn't matter if you're um you know 18 21 24 and in brendan's case or 35 or older than me like work on those things all the time as an official and just try to be the best version of yourself on the ice. 100%. And I think
1: this would be a great spot to leave the uh, episode 99 off. Yes. Uh, We will be back. If we do drop something uh, before it would be mid September, probably if, if we are looking at, I'm planning on
2: doing some rules stuff. Yes. Um, that we're going to try to do on the YouTube, so yep. keep an eye out for that. We will post everything on social medias
1: as well. Mm-hmm. If we do have another episode drop before mid September, uh, you guys will be the first ones to know. But until then, I guess
2: see you guys uh, in the new season. Yeah, for sure. Everything gets. Re- I mean, Labor Day is when we get rolling. So I am so excited. Yeah, I I am too. It's going to be fun and. Uh, to all our listeners. Thanks for, uh, bearing with us while we have these long breaks, but we'll be back in, in, uh, in full force here shortly. So until then, uh, skate hard, have fun and enjoy the game.